so welcome to what's going to be episode three of Politics and Huevos. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful episode. All <laughs> Everyone is going to enjoy it. I am Greg and I'm here with Lori. And we just returned from the Iron Town Diner in Saugus, Massachusetts. Yes. This is one of the locations that you had chosen us to uh Yes, to due to. to the fact that last week neither of us won the bet, I decided... Northam is still in office, for those of you that... Interesting note on that that I actually read this morning. So Northam, I mean, right now, apparently everyone in Virginia could be, you know, resigning at some point, or should be. Um, but this morning I read an interesting article where Northam yesterday, I believe it was, came out and was like, see, I'm not in this picture because I'm left-handed. And the two people in the picture were holding a beer in their right hand. I've never held a beer in my left hand because as, I'm right-handed. As a left-handed person, I thought it was quite amusing because I hold my drink in either hand, depending on the time of day. But the other thing that I thought was quite funny about this is then pictures came out of him holding drinks in his right hand. And at one point, even signing a bill with his right hand, which as a left-handed person, I could not sign with any sort of like legitimacy, really, with my right hand as a left-handed person. So I thought it was um, quite interesting that he decided that that would be his newest line was like, I'm, le- I'm left-handed. It couldn't have been me. Did in you mean legibly instead of legitimately? Uh, it seems like a strange choice of words. No, but I mean, I just found it was an interesting article because... As a left-hand person, I'm like, seriously, don't bring this into it. Because you could get a picture of me holding glass in either hand. You could get a picture. But you, but interestingly, you wouldn't get a picture of me signing, particularly signing something like that. My non-dominant hand, which I found a, kind of odd in general that he was signing, or at least posing to sign a bill with his pen in his right hand. So back to the Iron Town Diner, of yes. which we had breakfast this morning. Yes. So I had the potato skin Benedict. That was made of the skin of potatoes. Yeah, it was like potato, deep fried potato boats. I didn't have the bacon. There's normally bacon, cheddar cheese, poached eggs, hollandaise, and chives. And I was a big fan of this. I mean, I like potatoes in general. It was really good. The hollandaise was good. The chives were good. And when we were at, was it the Little Depot Diner a few weeks ago? And we'll be posting our review of this place uh, shortly. I had seen that they had a special of a hash brown Benedict that I debated getting because I like potatoes. And But this was way better. So they used, instead of a English muffin, it was the potato boat. It was really good. Really crunchy. Potato boat or potato skin? It was more of a boat than a skin. Kind of like uh, George's up in Gloucester, how they do those. A place that we have not reviewed for but have eaten politics in Huevos. But we, we have eaten there, I guess. So I, it's kind of more like that, I guess. When I, I think a lot of times the skins are thinner. This was a thicker piece of potato. And, and the home fries were good, but they, didn't, they had a lot of crunch. Oh, great but, crunch. But unfortunately, they weren't uh, particularly well-seasoned. No. Relatively bland. But the, the crunch and in the, in the, in the cooking done to those was fantastic. I would say crunch-wise... The best of the places we've reviewed so far, but flavor-wise, could use. And, you know, they didn't have a wide variety of hot sauces either. Just kind <laughs> of standard. going to be a big demerit for less less than a stellar a, selection of hot sauces. Not a big demerit. And I had the guacamole and bacon benedict, which is pretty self-explanatory. Guacamole, bacon, with hollandaise sauce over top of it, which was very good. But the highlight of my meals, I had a side, of course, of... Corned beef hash. Their corned beef hash was clearly homemade. They advertised it as homemade. But whereas a lot of homemade hash, in my experience, uh, one of the downfalls, pitfalls of it is the chunks of meat are, are too big and doesn't kind of give you a good mix of the the seasoning and the meat and the and the, and the kind of classic hash. 
consistency. These was this was shredded very finely and then grilled for the fact. Uh, very strong on their you know their classic pickling spice uh, for the corned beef, which was very good. So I, I would rate this corned beef hash as the best of the places we've reviewed so far. And again, we'll post our review to our Yelp um, profile here shortly. Overall, very busy but very efficient place in one of the uh, older strip malls developments that you'll ever see. Yeah, and it was something that I just found off of Yelp reviews. It's not something that I had had recommended. I was looking for actually, there was a specific place someone had talked about that I haven't found yet. And I found this place and I was like, ooh, that looks good. So overall, great breakfast. So on to politics. I believe I had the last choice last week. All right. So kick us off. We will start with gun rights versus gun control. Oh, so nothing controversial at all. Nothing controversial. Send your uh, death threats to uh, politicsandhuevos at gmail.com. So a picture of your gun that you intend to kill us with would be (laughs) just for context. Give us us a warning. So I think that the I had heard about the House hearing on gun violence earlier in the week. And that's a term that I think would be relatively hard to define. Gun violence? Yeah. Um, At least there's, there, there's been a difficult uh, conversation defining, like figuring out what well, the stats actually are, where they come from. Well, first of all, because the government isn't actually allowed to track that in the same way they are kind of everything else. They're actually do not, pro- there is um, things in place that do not allow them to actually do research into gun violence. So there can be no grants and nothing like that through the government. And the, so the data is, is problematic, to say the least. Because nobody nobody centrally collects it all. So because whoever, essentially no one's the, really allowed to. Like the government pays for research and everything well, even, else, but they're not allowed to look into. No, but even that. like on local jurisdictions, like on even on state level, the way they keep track of this stuff, even if they're allowed to, is very... It, nobody's definitions for different categories are the same. Agreed. So, I, so the first thing I found interesting about this is that this is the first hearing kind on any sort of gun violence or gun-related in eight years in the House, which correlates with... Uh, with Republicans were in power. Yes. Okay. Which, to That's the extent... Surprising, necessarily, though. What surprised me is that the extent to be, I guess, given what's gone on in the last year, eight years, to ignore that any sort of gun... There are any sort of gun issues, but it shouldn't surprise me. I'm just being naive, I guess. Well, I mean, so not to, to take the Republican House members off the hook, but they couldn't really talk about it. So, like, even if the individual members had concerns with gun violence, kind of the minute they brought it up, you know, the NRA would be mobilizing to which to well, yes. to ruin their election chances. Right? But I think that you know speaks to a larger problem on this, which is. But the thing that first struck me was actually regarding uh, Representative Gates of Florida. You heard about this mm-hmm. in the hearing? So he is a Republican and a significant ally of the current administration. So, you know, the Democrats brought their people to the panel. So there was a Parkland shooting survivor, some other survivors of various gun violence, as well as some um, research people. One of them was a ER doctor in Chicago, who also was a, a gun violence survivor. Anyways, and then the Republicans brought theirs, of which there was like one of them was a woman who was a domestic violence survivor who advocates for concealed carry for domestic violence survivors. And then there was a First Amendment scholar. It's kind of a strange um, confluence of uh, so, issues. Yes. So, you know, I'll put into one. 
What there was also two Parkland two fathers of Parkland shooting victims that were there, not on the panel, but they were there because they had been invited to the State of the Union by some members of Congress, and this was scheduled for the day after, so they were there for that. So Representative Gates takes his time to make his whole spiel about illegal immigration. Well, it seems like I did see a headline. I didn't read it. Including, like, saying, basically, why are we having a hearing on this? If we just built a wall, we wouldn't have an issue. Okay. So this bothered me. I then listened to his, as he went off on illegal immigration and then ended with his, essentially, if you build a wall, the the fathers of the Parkland shooting became verbally upset. Okay. Couldn't tell what they were saying, but you could hear them. So they were making noise. So then he moves to try to get them removed, which they're not supposed to make noise in a hearing. They didn't get removed. Afterwards, when they actually talked to him about that, they were he was like, oh, I didn't know they were Parkland. You would expect then that his response to that would be like, I didn't know they were, but feel for them or whatever. His response to it was literally, I didn't know that they were that, but they should have been removed anyways. They should. I would have treated them the same had I known that. Okay. So... I think the thing that bothers me about it is several fold. One being the idea that this guy, this guy represents Florida, yep. which has been impacted by Parkland as a whole. The state was impacted. This was a significant. Well, there's more than just Parkland, right? They had the, the nightclub shooting. nightclub shooting. They had. They've had yes. So the idea that this was like from his state, and he's the other issue is the fact that. He felt that to a hearing on something like this, he would take his time, which is limited, yep. to espouse illegal immigration. Yeah. Which... It's a classic move, though, right? Political grandstanding, I think, is probably what the actual... It is, but it's absurd. I mean, that's what everybody does at these things anyway. Even if, even the ones that uh, kind of follow the script on what the hearing is about are doing that to some degree. He was... But the other side is that the information he was actually giving was not actual statistics. When a Democrat, who I don't have their name, challenged him during their time to say, basically, you were lying, he then tried to get the other guy publicly, like, whatever, for impugning the character of a... But he didn't actually take up the final, I guess, ethics thing against the guy, because the other guy was like, bring it on, I'll prove you're lying. But it it just is absurd to me that you're going to take your time... When so many people are impacted by guns, and I'm, I'm, I'm not against guns, but you take your time to try to make it about build a wall when there's so many other things you could have said. If you want to say, you know, other, others of the Republicans on there were like, it's not about guns, it's about mental health. We need more mental health. I get that. It, it's not about guns. The, their other line is it's about morality of our country. I mean, that's a fair assessment, but I think that at the end of the day, the ability to have a discussion on guns is important. Yeah, absolutely. So the whole point of this, and it seems like really the bill that's coming out, as I have not read it, but the bill that is expected to pass the House, and you know, to go nowhere after that, right? But is is actually, in my opinion, as as a you know, I carry a gun in your glove box. I do not. Um, you have so, one on your ankle holster and your no, pants. No, but it, it is a reasonable measure. So it's essentially expanding um, background checks okay. to make them universal for almost all, I don't know the exceptions, but almost all um, gun sales and as well as uh, gun transfers. But the background checks are only as good as the data that's in the central databases, which from my understanding has been one of the main problems you've had is some of the, well, I some think of the actual 
the necessary data is actually getting fed in. Wasn't there an issue no, and with, I think that the with military not getting fed in? Yes, mil- military. No, and I. Uh, but I, I guess the thing that I find interesting about this is that this is like a non-starter with Republicans because essentially this isn't setting the rules of who gets a gun or not. This is just saying that everyone who gets a gun there should at least be a cursory background check. Oh, sure. Which to me seems like it, it, it seems it doesn't. I don't know how you could argue against this. Well, I guess the way you argue against it, plain devil's ad- advocate here, just for the record, um, <laughs> send your death threats because to Greg. I, because I do think background checks are reasonable. But I think the 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 problem with guns specifically in these types of areas is that the NRA. No, 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 no. So I think it goes. It's it's a little bit a little bit deeper than that. So the reason that guns are so legally difficult to deal with is that they're specifically laid out in the Constitution as a right. So everybody argues, obviously, about what the actual meaning of the words that are there are, right? What that what what the Second Amendment actually you know was meant to to kind of meant to say. But so it's it's one thing when when you can try to limit individuals' kind of privileges in all other kind of different areas. But when something is kind of more 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 or less specifically laid out as being a right, that becomes a little bit more legally problematic. Because right, so so everybody likes to say, and, and again, I agree with this point to you know, some degree that you know owning a gun is a privilege. I think that's true. But unfortunately, it's a little bit more than that based on at least constitutional law that we've had at this point in this country, right? But I think we've... we've it's as one thing a country, you can take it away. You can take it away if they commit a, fel- commit a felony or whatever, right? That's part of... But you can take it away for a variety of reasons already in most states. Well, outside of criminal. You can take it away based on certain mental health. You can take it away based on things without a conviction. Well, you can, you can say so, that. So, but I, I don't think... No, but I'm saying that's actually built into a lot of states' laws. No, 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 no. So I agree with you, but I think if if somebody wanted to actually make a big push to get those state laws to, say, the U.S. Supreme Court, they would actually lose. I don't think so. Okay. Because I think that the ability to bear arms, there's a lot of abilities in there that different circumstances are also, the, different circumstances actually change what you're allowed to do. And so I think that the idea that everyone, I mean, like we've set a limit that people, you can't buy a gun before you're how old. Is it written into the constitution that you have to be a certain age? And are you going to take it to the Supreme Court and let a four-year-old buy a gun? The Supreme Court's never going to say that. They're going to say, no, the constitution may not lay out an age, but there's obviously an age at which you should have to attain in order to buy a gun. Sure. So there are certain things that are not written in their word for word. No, I agree with you. But I'm just saying that that, that is the complicating factor as it relates to, to guns mm-hmm. issues. Well, but I, I and I agree. But I, st- I, I hold to the fact that you can't even have a conversation around something like universal. Every, almost every state, is my understanding, has some level of background checks in certain circumstances for buying a gun. Yep. So how do you say that you have to do it? I don't remember which state it is, but you have to do it. Unless you go to a gun show, tell well, me no, I how the with law. All the exceptions how that. how does the law make any sense that way? Like, oh no, it doesn't make any because sense. Because then, if I'm trying to get it for nefarious purposes, or I'm you know I have a you know a criminal record, because all they're asking them to do is like at the, 
you have to like sign that you haven't done X, Y, and Z. One of the things on, on those is like, have you ever killed someone with a gun or something to that? I, I, in the state of Michigan, to like go through that, the, some of the questions that are asked are really okay. No, I haven't. Like, so, you're, gonna... so, you're, so you're lying about that? You have killed someone with a gun? No. Oh. But, but, I think that, but I think that the idea that, you know, signing that piece of paper to say, I haven't done this, because the people who are planning to do something, oh, but they're not going to lie on that piece of paper. Like, what's the difference between me walking into a store and walking into a gun show or walking into... So I think the idea that... No, I, I like consistency. I'm a big, I'm a big giant fan of consistency. I guess here, here's what I'm going to say, though. And I think this is the problem with the conversation. And to some degree, I think you'll probably agree with me, right? So I agree that there should be universal background checks mm-hmm. for purchasing guns. But to a large degree, that's really not going to solve a lot of the problems that, that we've had with guns you know, even in the last 10 years, a lot of people that we've seen do the mass killings would have passed this the background check process, no matter what it is that gets put in place. And the guns that they've used so far, maybe with, no, not even with Las Vegas as being the outlier, I'm not, are never going to get outlawed. And I don't think they necessarily should be outlawed. Well, I mean, the bump stock, I definitely Yeah, the bump, so that so the bump stock being the that. outliers being yeah. Las Vegas. But like you know the no the I, AR fifteen or whatever that the kid in, in Florida had that's not that's not going to be illegal. and I don't think and that's the answer but I but I do think that there I I think that the ability first of all I think that the ability to have the conversation is important no I agree and I and I and I don't think it's about outlying guns I mean we grew up in a household that didn't have guns but our extended family did like we grew up learning how to handle guns I have not shot any guns in. An, quite a while, but I used to really enjoy target practicing, you know, don't send your hate mail to me, please. It, I'm not anti-gun, but I, but at the same time, I think that, first of all, you know, there needs to be a discussion, and I, and I can't think of anything almost more moderate than universal background check. Will it solve everything? No. But I think it's at least a step forward, because then the question is where there's issues. And, and this is going to be an argument well, I mean, in general, is like, okay, at what level of like, a mental health would it then go into a background check, or at what level of a of a situation would it then feed into? Yeah, what level that? of an incident would require that you can't and have one? What level? What kind of medicine that you're on disqualifies yeah. you? From and I think that's a larger, you know, that's a much larger conversation. But the idea that if I am going to sell a gun, whether it's to you or whether it's through a store or whether it's at a gun show, that I should have to be have to have a process to go through to say, have I checked to ensure that I've done it? Because that's to my best of the ability, right? I'm going to send out to this background check thing to be able to say, yeah, you know, they have anything or they don't have anything. That's like a basic first step. Yeah, but I think I, I completely agree with all of everything you said. But I think the, the problem that really neither side is just willing to say, and because it would be probably political suicide for either side to say this, but to a large degree on, you know, some things maybe we'll talk about later, in this series or something I'll write up about, you know, the way people deal with privacy or surveillance or uh, any of those questions. Like if you want to live in what's considered a free society, there are going to be basically people that are sacrificed for that. And some of those people are going to be the ones that we've had over the last however many years. That I don't, like, that. I, I don't like the verbiage of that, but I, I'm no, not, but I, mean, okay, I don't think there's change, a, I don't think we there's, can change the verbiage, but uh, uh, no matter think, what we do, people are going to get killed by guns in, in society 
as long as it remains remotely free. Right? And I, I don't, and I don't disagree with that. But I also don't think that takes away the ability of, you know, like if I'm going to buy a car, they run my driver's license. They better too. All those, all those demerits. Yeah, lots uh, of black. Unlike marks. someone else that's sitting at this table, <laughs> um, some of us are Pure on the, the some of us are on the good insurance plan. But I think I also think that the other thing that that bothers me around this so you're not a fan of human sacrifices i guess is the bottom line for i don't like that um no i'm not a fan of that so the aztecs you wouldn't say <laughs> i am not a fan of the aztecs <laughs> send your hate mail they did have they did have good chocolate they started the original hot chocolate which i am a fan of anyway so that so that absolves no, them of cutting not, people's hearts out when no it does not i was trying to go in a positive direction so i think that I guess the other side of it with this is the, first of all, the the grandstanding. I do think, you know, mental health is an issue that needs to be dealt with as well, uh, as, you know. But I think the other thing that kind of bugs me about this is that you have, and, and all parties are tied to lobbyists to some extent, but the extent of the Republican Party's tie to the NRA, given what's coming out about the NRA right now, given what's, and I know, you know, I have at least one grandfather who will come back from the grave to probably beat me for saying that. It's just like the things that are coming out about the NRA, it's tied to, you know, Russia slash Maria Butina, yep. Butiva, Butina. Well, not to go down a whole nother road with this, but I, there's, a, there's a really, a really clear reason why that's true, though. The NRA is the most effective way to get votes on, e on either side of the aisle in the United States, if the NRA sends out a notice to their members, and they have lots and lots of members, and they tell them to vote for X, those people will go out and do it. Like, they're, they're able to well, actually completely get their people out there to do whatever it is they want them to do, basically out of moment's notice, and they'll yes. do it. Yes, yes. Which is also scary, because you look at... Some of their more recent videos of, you know, we're holding on to our, our guns to, like, fight the government and, like, yeah, I mean, like, my Michigan militia kind of stuff, but it's it's an actual... And then you look at their ties and their, it just gets really, really kind of concerning. And you have an issue like gun violence, which is an issue that needs to be addressed in the same way a lot of issues do. I'm not, it, you know, it's not about taking away everyone's guns. It's not about no one can own a gun. It's not... But it's also oh, having some lines in the sand of saying this is what this is the expectation around you know if you're going to own a gun if you're going to no so here's a question as we end maybe we end your topic okay so do you think I know the answer the, how I'd answer this question see what you think do you think guns are the most powerful single single issue voting topic in the U.S. Yes, I, I think they easily are right. Yes, I mean there's far more people that care about that and nothing else than any other topic. And I think a big part of that has been how the NRA has really, through propaganda, et cetera, scared people into thinking that it's a completely black and white issue. Well, I said, like, the, the people that vote for it don't care about anything else. Like, they will vote for somebody that has all kinds of views that they disagree with as long as they line up with them on that one thing. Well, and I think, be but what's in. interesting is with that lining up on them on that one thing is that... If you talk to them outside of that about universal background checks and things like that, that population outside of the NRA saying X, Y, and Z isn't against background checks. No, but they'll just do whatever they're but told. But they'll do basically. whatever they're told. And, and a big part of that is because 
you know, really the NRA has fostered this. Either we can do everything and there's no restrictions or they're taking your guns. Well, so it's a, well, we're extending this longer than I thought. But so I think the reason they're doing that, and I think it logically it makes sense, right? So they're arguing that the slippery slope as it relates to guns is real, which I think probably has at least a grain of truth in it, right? Because there Everything is... Everything could be a slippery slope. No, no, no. But, but so what they're able to... What they're able to point to is the large percentage of Democrats that would want to make illegal huge swaths of the current uh, guns that can be bought in the United States. And as long as you can continue to highlight this as, okay, these same people that want to, to do actually take your guns away want this background check to go through. And once they get that through, it's going to be the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. That's how they convince people to say, you know, I'm not even willing to take step number one, right? Well, it's fear mongering. Yes, absolutely. And I and and I just find it interesting that you know they continue to, given I guess everything that goes on with them, they continue to hold onto their power to such an extent, given what's coming out, how they. I still think they're probably, like I said, easily the most influential organization in the United States operating today, outside of some big church. No. Probably. All right. So my first topic was a fun discussion. <laughs> my first topic, I thought, you know, since it's uh, 2019 now, Uh-oh. it's about time that we should start talking about the presidential election for 2020. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Just so everybody doesn't think that I'm going to be picking on uh, Democrats uh, here when we talk about this. It's obviously we we all think we know who's going to be running for the Republicans uh, when the election happens. Do you think someone else is actually going to run against him? I would I would be surprised if he wasn't primaried at least a little bit to begin Who with. Who do you think's going to primary interest. him? You know, there'd probably be some Kasich style uh, guy out there. But the so obviously that's a you know the twenty twenty election is a huge topic. So I wanted to narrow it down to something that's kind of very narrow focused kind of issue Uh-oh. for us to talk about. So um, kind of triggered Elizabeth by Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> she's going to be in this conversation. Oh no, but that's, that's I'm not picking on her. Just so everyone knows, she just announced as of today. There should ago. be a there should be a caveat that probably the person on the face of this earth that Greg would hate the worst to be president of the United States out of probably bar none is Donald Trump. Oh really? You say that over Elizabeth Warren? I'm actually a little surprised by that. Is she second only to Donald Trump? Oh my gosh, it'd be a very painful, painful situation if those were the choices I have to say. I know, but I, I thought she was at least equal, if not possibly above him. Oh my now no, that you know I, where his bias is on that, I, we'll uh, go with your question. Second, I'd say. Okay, good. Well, at least that's, you know. But it's painful. All right. Now, onto your topic. We just had to, you know, we want to expose the biases of the... Uh... Oh, my gosh. Anyway, so, but what I wanted to talk about more than anybody's, like, individual policies or positions or even really their history. Yes. I want to talk about any kind of incidental kind of uh, instance that happened with them or character trait that... Could possibly would possibly be disqualifying for a presidential candidate. So this is in a continuation of the conversation we had in the car last night. Yeah, that, that's what brought brought this up okay. as an idea as a topic. Okay. So obviously the the first example I'm going to use is the one that we talked about last night. Yep. Which is Amy Klobuchar. Is that how you pronounce it? I thought it was Klobuchar. Um, send your death threats to uh, <laughs> <laughs> politics and huevos. Please email to let Greg know that he pronounced that See wrong. If I pronounced it incorrectly. I could be wrong, but I thought it was. So obviously there's been a number of stories over the last few weeks. Not even a few weeks. Like this like broke in the last few days. days. I've only heard like rumors about like, oh, maybe, 
before, but I want to say like this exploded in the last like three, four days. Kind of in step with her seeming to make some moves that she was interested in in 2020. Well, um, because people were saying she was potentially the, had the best chance because she's a more moderate Democratic setter, et cetera. So, so all that being said, so apparently her kind of um, Achilles heel for the, for the for purposes of this conversation is that she is a nightmare to work for. She treats her underlings and staff horribly and has since she's entered public service going back to her time in Minnesota. To the point that in 2015, apparently, Harry Reid actually pulled her aside to like... Yeah, the Harry Reid from Nevada, the, the minority leader, said, you got to cut it out. You got to turn over a new leaf because, you know, the way you're treating people is unsustainable. The way you're treating your staff. Yeah. Um, so... You know, I think to a large degree, both you and me don't have a ton of things from a policy perspective that we're going to fight about a lot related to her. Um, obviously, she's a little more um, liberal on some things than I would be and maybe even more conservative on some things than I would be. But for, you know, for the most part, I agree with you that she's very moderate, kind of reasonable Democrat. So, again, the, the kind of narrow subject matter I have here is something like that really dis- a disqualifying characteristic for somebody to be president of the United States. Obviously, I mean, the, obviously the problem is the president's never going to be perfect. They're always going to have problems. But is that specific, 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 that's definitely not a word. Is that specific issue uh, something that you would think is disqualifying? Yes. I think I would agree. But I think that, so again, I think it's I think- very difficult to say, like, if, if she was running against Donald Trump. Yeah. Who has, also, who has a list of these kind of issues, you know, a Longer than just being mean to the, his staff. No, totally. I think, and, and it's kind of, I had heard about this kind of in the periphery, and I can't even think of prior to last night. I had heard about it and a little bit like, oh, she's not good with her staff or she's not. And I was like, okay. I'm sure a lot of politicians are just not in general nice human beings. But after reading a couple articles on this, the extent to which she is like demeaning or just horrendous to her staff, given what's coming out. And it's not coming out in like, oh, it's on Fox News or oh, it's 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 really coming out come from kind of all angles on it. So it, it doesn't appear to just be it, it appears to be a legitimate issue that she has had for a very long time. And it's sad because like you were saying, she's someone that when I heard of initially you know, I don't know a ton about all her positions, but what I know for her of of her, she was someone that I would have been excited um, about running had it not been for something like this coming out. I think that there's a part of it that is, you know, the extent to which this is coming out, as well as the, I just, I think it is unfortunately disqualifying. Politically fatal? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that, I think it should be. I mean, look at what we ended, what we have currently in the administration. Obviously, not all the American people agree with. Well, I don't want the uh, you know whataboutism to be a standard. Like, oh, Trump, this person's better slightly than Trump, so we get a. Well, and that's a conversation I actually had with one of my good friends this week about the whole Northam thing, where it was like, um, they're like, how can? And interestingly, the person is not a, a Democrat, but it was kind of. You know, well, you know, we're not Trump. You know, the Republicans are still allowing Trump in all he does. But it's like we can't. We have to have a standard of behavior. Just because one person isn't kind of living up to it doesn't mean that we throw it all out the window. 
Which brings us to Elizabeth Warren. What do you? What is the uh, standard of behavior for her that you think is disqualifying? So, is her, all of these now that are coming out via the Washington Post actual instances that we didn't see before, where she literally written down, wrote down on applications and profiles of herself being a Native American after she left law school to the Texas bar and other places now. And she's come out and said this is going to be a lot more instances coming out where this shows up as her saying that. Is that kind of a similar, a similar issue to Klobuchar in that it's a, an earlier problem that, that could be disqualified? I, I am, I mean, I guess, I, I'm not a huge Elizabeth Warren fan anyways, but I wouldn't, I don't know. So I would have to, I would have to, like, I've, I've read about articles about this. I've read, so I guess I'd be interested to know what, like, what the point of her putting that down was or what the, if, if it's lying to get favorable positioning or something, then I, I think yes. Well, it might even be, I don't know if it's even necessarily a lie. If she really believed that she was a Native American mm-hmm. after college, mm-hmm. is that disqualifying? Like, how... As an intelligent human being, could you believe that you were Native American as Elizabeth Warren after that point? I think that I think that there's the issue with this is when you what is the standard for identifying what you're what you're writing down? And that is different for different different people. So I think that that's a bigger question. Well not really. So so here's here, so, so, so as an so, example. So do you identify as you know like you look at there's always that Hispanic question right? Yep. Okay. So how much Hispanic background do you have to have to check that box, or how much? I think I think it's a larger question. Think, Most of us are mutts to some extent. No, but I think everything, all the other, all the other categories are are something maybe you could argue about to some degree if you're you know, a white person or Hispanic if you're actually from Spain. And, but why, so why, why is that one different? No, because people would say, oh, you look, you look um, like a regular white person, but you're from Spain. You can say you're Hispanic, right? So, yeah. So, but I, what I get, I know I'm saying, why, why yeah. are you saying, essentially you're saying she could choose any other category except for Native American, but because it was a Native American. Yeah. So nobody, nobody looking at, at her is going to say, Anything about being Native American? She's, she, there's no way that her identity is is Native American. A, a blue eyed, okay, blonde haired girl from Oklahoma who had nothing to do with any 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 tribe, no any tribe association, nothing. But I she's think not, she's not Native American. She, did, she did, the world does not see her as being Native American. No matter, so you no so what, so before no I says. check a box, I have to ask what the world sees me as. No, but 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 there's no that's not her identity, and, it, and it, there's there's no plausible way that it could be. So so as a as an example, right? So you and I, the 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 family mythology for us is is more plausible than it is for for Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, right? and we don't. But any point after, you know, maybe elementary school, mm-hmm. there's no way that I would ever think about putting. Native American, not any kind of racial identifier. No, but I no, and I and I don't and I don't get why she used that. But I think whether that 
whether that's a disqualifying feature, I think, is a little bit different. Because, quite frankly... Well, it turns her into something that's special in a minority when she's clear she's not. And, and, and I'm not agreeing that she should have she should have done that. But I think, in general, I think that if that's the point of it, then, yeah, that's that's not right and definitely well, needs What other to, point would there be besides trying to make yourself stand out from the crowd? I don't know. And like that would being be my, special has got to be the only motivation to do it at all. Well, but that would be my... my hey, look, I'm not just a regular white woman. I'm, I'm but, Native American. But in the time that she was doing that, when she was still because, really young... Because people young, advertised her saying, oh, look, we have a diverse staff or whatever. I mean, that was part of what people talked about. She She's come out since then and said, oh, I'd never really benefited from it. But definitely the organizations that that she listed herself as that benefit because they will say, look how much diversity we have now in our role. But I think what I find interesting about her story is really the time frame. Like back when she was graduating from college and going to the bars, the through the bar association. Was, she's going to the bars. Well, she may have been. <laughs> but did, she doesn't look like a partier to me. She I, Did it of, actually benefit her at that point? Because it seems now that it's something that she consistently did. And that would be my question. Did it really benefit her back then? To well, if she consistently that? didn't. I'm not. If she consistently did it, I'm not sure how it didn't benefit her. Like if she was putting that on college applications and other stuff, even if she goes back and talks to the admissions people and they say, "Oh no, didn't have anything." But you're it. T- you're talking about that now. Yeah. When was she in college? In what year? Seventies, right? Okay. And what we know about racial politics then? Seventies or eighties? How old is she? Uh, it's got to be at least seventies. She's got to be in her 60s. She's in her 60s? So I would say we're looking at 60s or 70s for college. I don't know that I don't know that really benefit her at that point. But I could be wrong. How old is she? Uh, yeah, Google and see how old she is. So she left University of Houston with a BA in 1970. Okay. Law school in 76. 76. So then it may have. I'll change. I thought she was older than that. Oh, did you know she appears like she was divorced? Uh-oh. Is that disqualifying for you, Greg? No, but I didn't know that. Did you know that? I didn't. But, I mean, that's not that rare. No, I know, but it's probably, uh, I can't think of the last president that was divorced. Reagan, maybe? Trump? Oh. Trump, not being like... Yeah, uh, let's think. Perhaps uh, multiple times? About more conventional... Uh, oh, yeah. Conventional... I can't remember the last time we had a divorced person. <laughs> Certainly not one that ever... There's never been one that had a public affair. Conventional. (laughs) Yeah, but divorce is public to the the extent that affairs isn't, right? In the back of the day, affairs weren't publicized, but divorces were part of the public record, right? Well, I mean, it depended on when, if you're talking about affairs being publicized. All right, so that's my first first topic. All right. So my um, follow-up is actually regarding one that we had already talked about, which is the separation of children at the border. The reason this Part was, two. Part two. The reason that I found this interesting was actually there was a hearing this week. I think it was in the Senate, but it could have been in the House. And they brought this guy, Jordan White, who's a career in, in the DOJ. And the Department of Justice? Yes. And he actually um, told them in the conversation that back in February 2017, which is before any policy was officially in place, he heard that they were making a policy on this. He approached three senior officials and told them the concerns around it. And they told him, we're not actually doing this policy. Okay. And then they had actually kind of started. And as we know, they've done that. One of his big concerns was, how are you going to track? So this idea that 
no one ever raised any concerns or there was, how would we have known we had to track these people is now a little different because there's name, dates, times of very senior officials being told on separate occasions that they should really, first of all, the potential detriments to the children, et cetera, as well as kind of around the tracking. So I find it very interesting that more and more is coming out that like this policy was going on kind of behind the scenes. Then they tell this guy like, no, we're not actually doing that policy. And it appears that they had kind of started that policy at that point already, though it didn't really come to light or they didn't talk about it publicly until later. Just more and more on the fact that, quite frankly, they just didn't seem to really care. So how long do you think it is before our friends, the lawyers, get a hold of this and, and file a class action lawsuit? they got to wait how many years down the line to, to file that uh, on behalf of these kids that are never going to see their parents again? I don't know. Is there a certain number of years before you can file? I'm not sure. No, no, no. I just wondered. Uh, there's got to, oh, I'm there's sure there's a, there's a limit, I'm sure. Oh, Up to yeah. some point where they... You have to file have to, We'll have to wait, right? Because the government could say, oh, we're still... Trying to put them working together. Working on it. Well, I think at, at some point it's going to be clear that they can't or that it's going to be long enough. I, I actually don't know that it's by. far from the fact that they can't because it seems like they, at this point they can't even say how many people were separated, which I guess is the part that would make it more of a challenge to file a lawsuit because they they don't know how many kids they took away. They know how many they gave back. They got a number of well, how many have they to get back. A, you yeah. only have to get a class and then certify it. And then you can actually figure out how big the class actually is, right? Well, and what's hard is how do you how do you know? Like how do you how do you have any idea how many kids? Because the only people that know are the people that took them away. That's what I mean. So, like, like I said, so like the uh, if you're not familiar with this process, given your uh, lack of uh, history in this area, yeah. So if if you're gonna if you're gonna file a class action lawsuit, you only have to get like a very small group to file. And then to get the class certified, and then you actually can use discovery to identify everybody that is actually part of the class. What I what I think is hard though with this is everyone. So they're going to have to doc. The government would actually actually have to provide all of their documents related to everything that happened within whatever time period the court decides is is in the scope. But I think what becomes hard is I don't know how much documentation it sounds like the government actually has on this. That's what it seems like. There's not any actual numbers. They don't have documents. They don't even have names of every kid they took. That just seems like another way to just triple the damages. Um, so I think, you know, and when you look at, you know, moving forward with a lawsuit of some sort, what are you, a lot of the people who would be victims are still children who well, may why, or may not realize. It, well, that's why, may, like I said, it may take, maybe it takes a decade before those kids get old enough to understand what happened to them and then start contacting people. Well, and I think there's going to be a point, depending on the shift in government, that you could very well also end up with a government that's actually kind of offering housing and stuff to parents who can prove that their kids got taken. End up with them back in the U.S. simply because the government messed up. That's going to be a nightmare. Well, it is a nightmare. I mean, you look at kids that are currently going to bed without parents and et cetera because the government decided to take them away and not write down the name of who they took them from or how many kids they took as they shipped the parents. I mean, there was a plane that was like flying someone, some lady back and the judge was like sitting in the hearing. It was, I think it was a mom and a kid that were getting flown back and they had a hearing that day and the judge was like, Where, why aren't they here? And the lawyers, their lawyer was like, we haven't been able to get in contact. And the government's like, we flew them back to Honduras. And the judge was not happy and said that. he did, I apparently didn't let the 
anyone in the any the lawyer the government lawyer leave the room until they returned and landed back because if they could not bring them back the lawyer was going to be in contempt strange it seemed like the germans kept better records yeah and that's and that's a sad point you know <laughs> like how do you in this time frame not have an idea of how many children you remove from parents like how do you how do you not have a number to say like this many kids were at the border that we took away we placed this many kids with this agency this many kids with that agency this many kids here most places can track how many pencils and pens they have so yeah <laughs> you can track where you've placed kids so that's my second topic not much of a discussion no but still frustrating therefore i brought it up uh my next topic yes is liberal internationalism liberal okay. liberal in the more classical Mm-hmm. sense of the term mm-hmm. and this this topic was brought up by a podcast that i listened to earlier this week on lawfare called uh, progressive critiques of, of liberal internationalism okay uh, with uh, jack goldsmith I'm not sure if you know who he is i do not he's a professor of at harvard law he's probably the uh probably the most prominent conservative legal mind in the world at the moment i'd okay. say um, even though he's uh, one of the kind of a never Trump kind of uh, kind of guy, and then also uh, on the podcast with him is a guy named Samuel Moyne, who is uh, actually uh, Yale Law School professor, who's actually at Harvard now for a year or so, doing some kind of whatever you know those professors do when they sabbatical. Well, that's not a sabbatical, but you know the some kind of grant or whatever they go. Oh, he's to like on loan. Yeah. Anyway, so the two of them. Samuel Moyne is the most, uh, one of the very most liberal and progressive uh, lawyers in the in the country, and again, very prominent. So the combination of the two of them was very uh, fascinating conversation where they disagreed on some stuff, but I think lots of folks would be surprised on the kind of things they agree with. So to define what they were talking about a little bit, internationalism primarily being instances where the U.S. has... has intervened militarily mm-hmm. across the world, you know, since uh, World War II. Mm-hmm. And, it's in, and they kept talking about why it seemed like both parties keep following, falling into this same trap of military intervention. Mm-hmm. Like every time there's a problem, the answer always seems to be, you know, the military will go and straighten it out. Mm-hmm. And we end up making problems a lot worse in yep. situations. You know, the examples that obviously they talked about a lot were Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, Libya, and Kosovo. I think probably Kosovo being the only one of those examples that hasn't proven to be a complete disaster, even though it's still very controversial and unclear if it was actually a success. So that's not a very good standard, right? Where it seems like every every instance where we try to go and do some positive work does end up being making things worse. I mean, Somalia... Be another example from um, you know Clinton's administration, and and so I guess you know the question you know I have for you is is and I have a couple of potential answers. Um, you for, normally but, do, but but why do presidents in particular from both parties keep falling back and kind of into the same well, and they don't learn from from prior mistakes? And and two, not to give Trump credit for anything. This is one thing that, as far as interventionalism, he has kind of refused to do. I'm going to challenge that. Okay. Because while he's talked about that, 
It sounds as if Venezuela, he is leaning more and more towards that. Is he or is it Bolton and the other kind of Um, It sounds like, I mean, the administration at least is leaning towards a military intervention there. Well, maybe he'll fall down the same uh, hole again. I mean, he's fallen into numerous other ones that other people even haven't. So if there's a hole, he probably is going to jump. I thought this was going to be the one thing where he had (laughs) had it right and everybody else blew it. I know. From what I was reading, what I was reading either late last night or early this morning, on it, it sounded as if he's leaning towards military intervention. But on your question, I think part of the reason that everyone falls into this is at a certain point, as a president, realize that your hands are tied to do things the way you necessarily want to do them. So you really only have a couple options. Yeah, but the people presenting you options so they so they prevent you basically two bad options and then you have to pick one, which ends up being... They're actually so the question is: Are they actually being presented every potential thing they could actually do? I mean, I think that depends on who they surround themselves with. No, but a lot of these people never leave government, right? A lot of the experts, you know, people have been. Well, I think one of the cliché terms that we've had since Trump was elected has been the the deep state, right? And to some to some extent, not by his definition, but to some extent, that is a thing, right? There is, but I think kind of a monolithic group of people that that exists in in you know the Pentagon and other places. Throughout administrations. Can I speak now? I don't know. I had a lot more to say. I know you did. So, no, I mean, I, I, but I think that the people that are actually talking to the president are actually generally the people they surround themselves with. The people who come up with the options behind the scenes are people you can say are deep state or are whatever. But they're not the people that are actually presenting the options for the presidents. Those are done by the people the president has chosen to be in their inner circle. And so I think... Whether whatever the options that are brought up by the people that are the career whatever, the options that are going to be presented to the president are then filtered through people he has chosen. And so that makes an obvious impact of the types of options. But I think at a certain point, there's also the issue that even if you're presented with all these options, at a certain point, it seems easier to get physically involved because we can do something. And so I think at a certain point, people that you get presidents who feel their hands are tied in ways that the only way I can get what I want, at least in a timely fashion, which politics is all about timeliness, right? We can't have these things going on horrendously. If I like this country, I can't let them slaughter their own people. If I don't like them, they can slaughter whoever they want. But I think that there's a sense of the only way to get things done in an efficient manner then becomes the military. Like if you're a hammer, everything's a nail. And so I think that that plays into the role to make those choices. Because you look at... Well, you see, you see like the evolution of, of Barack Obama, right? Mm-hmm. So as a candidate before that, he was probably one of the most anti-interventionalist um, candidates has ever actually, you know, won the presidency. And he was, that was part of one of the primary mm-hmm. kind of delineating factors between him and Hillary in the, in the Democratic primary. And then when he when he you know becomes president, even afterwards, he said one of his biggest um, regrets of being, his presidency has been Libya, right, where they got rid of Gaddafi and the entire country immediately flushed itself down the toilet, right? Yes, but I think because I think there's also a sense of because so before it, the presidency if, against it did it while he was president, and now that he's not president anymore, he's like, well, that was a big mistake, and everybody's like, no shit, like, what did you think? Because I think, well, there's a couple things. One being, I think that there's the expediency 
kind of aspect of it. I think there's which is one of my least favorite words, by the way. Expediency. Well, not as I a word it itself, but as far as um, as what it means for the way people make decisions, I think it's poisonous. Okay. No, I. Um, I think any any time that you any I like a uh, you know going back to our business world, if you're making the most expedient decision, it's not always the best. Probably a disaster. No, right? no, I agree. I think though that that plays a role in it. There also is this idea that I think before you're in it, right? If I'm not the boss, I I know all the right answers. I know what we need to do. But when I'm faced with it, it becomes a different it becomes a different story. If I'm sitting there and I'm saying we shouldn't go into a country because we should talk to them and they'll change their ways. That's different than when I'm actually then finding out what's happening there and I could actually do something about it. And I think if you well, look you at any level it. of, I, mean, I think of... if you do any level of management though, right, the idea of what the right decision is and then the final decision is often different, right? If I'm in the position of power, I may change my opinion. I also think that there becomes this sense of we are the biggest, the best country there becomes a frustration when other countries that we think should be listening to us don't, or they're doing things a different way, or they're, and I think in the same way, right, I've done a lot of family therapy, you know, you don't need to pick up your kid and drag them out of the store. Generally speaking, if you, you know, they'll come with you if they, but at a certain point, you're just sick of them screaming on the floor, so you're going to pick them up and drag them out of the store. And I think that it becomes a similar situation where physical injury seems to suddenly seems the best option because X, Y, and Z is happening, even if there are other options on the table, but they're not going to fix it as quickly. It always seems like there's a better alternative for a government. Like Libya, there was a thought that there was a better alternative for a government. They just didn't actually become a government. You think it plays into it too, like the unbelievable amount of money that we spend on the military and how big and truly powerful our military is, like all of a sudden it becomes the just kind of the go-to, like, oh, we spent all this money, we might as well get some, not to, to use a cliche, bank for our buck, so we're going to send in this this entity that we spent all this cash on to yeah. actually do I mean, we, I don't know if you've ever seen the Ben and Jerry or one of them, the guy who did the kind of military spending on the Oreo cookies, have you seen that? No. So he does, like, military spending by, um, and he, Sacks Oreo cookies, which, you know, I'm a fan of Oreo cookies. But the amount that we spend on our military, you know, they talk about like everyone should pay their fair share or whatever. But even the ones that we are actually not helping, the amount they spend on their military compared to us, way less. Well, sure. So we're we're like outspending everyone and we're still talking about raising, you know, our military. And so I think at a certain point, there probably is a point of we have all these people waiting. What are, what are we going to do? Well, we got a new plane. We got to use it. And, you know. I could use a new plane, by the way. I'm not getting Send your donations to politics and Huevos <laughs> at uh, gmail.com. Uh, yeah, right. I would not get in a plane with you. What? No. No. I thought we discussed this already. I would love to fly a plane. Not if I was to fly in the plane? I. No. No. You almost drove off the road last That's night. A wimp. I know. I would love to fly a plane. I would love to land it. Yeah, not. All right. So that's, I think it's a sad statement to kind of how we do things because I don't think that it's been effective. And I, and I do think given what I've seen that we're headed that way in Venezuela. 
So as far as our as far as our bet for the week, because last week it was a push because Northam still hasn't resigned. Still in office. Fair Fairfax is Yeah, it's it's all bad. And they should all resign. Let's, let's throw all was there three or four of them now that are in trouble? Four of them, I think. There's four. I'm not doing a bet on that. You don't want to bet on all four of them? See what's if anything happens. No, happen the Republicans for sure not going anywhere because the Republicans don't care about that. No, and I don't think Northam's going anywhere. Fairfax, they're going to apparently push for impeachment articles on Monday, which I have to say the most recent thing on him is quite concerning. Not that the first one wasn't, but this the just Duke, makes it uh, the woman from Duke. Right? Yeah, this just makes it no, all the worse. Well, did we you, have. Did you have an idea for? A, I did. A the upcoming shutdown, because that's right. The shutdown will go into effect on Friday. Friday's deadline, correct? I believe it's the fifteenth. So, which side of this argument are you on? The yes or no? I do not think there will be a shutdown. Okay, I'll take the other side of it. You'll take that there will be a shutdown. Yeah. Okay. Is it Friday the fifteenth? Because that it one... is Friday the fifteenth. Okay. So they have to have a deal by that day, or that's when the shutdown will go in place if they don't have a deal. That's when the shutdown will start if they don't have a deal. Over. Awesome. So that works because that's within our range of... Midnight or whatever, probably on the 15th. Yeah, so it'll be shut down as of Saturday morning then, right? Should be. And right. it will be, of course. I don't think it will be. So we'll see you uh, next week. All right. Bye.